But Lord, if they come to our church, we might hear about life outside. You would, said the Lord. But Lord, there's no life apart from you. That's right, said the Lord. But Lord, then there's no life outside of the church. (laughs) Not true, laughed the Lord. But Lord, to learn their story is to feel their loneliness. My loneliness, said the Lord. But Lord, to listen to them is to know their terror. My terror, said the Lord. Or to hear them is to feel their fear. My fear, said the Lord. Or to know them might be to love them or to hate them. To love me or hate me, said the Lord. Or to embrace them truly, truly, we would then belong to them. Truly, truly, you would belong to me, said the Lord. But Lord, if we do this, we will be changed. We can hope, laughed the Lord. We can pray. But Lord, if we do this thing, we would no longer be our church. No, my church, said the Lord. You would be my church. Friends, good morning. That was a poem by poet and United Reformed Church minister Lucy Berry. And I wanted to start with it this morning because it captures much of the essence of what our sermons will be exploring over the coming weeks. As we begin this new Stretch in the Kingdom series together, we do that in a context where we can't physically meet and our life together now looks very different. And we don't necessarily know what church and our church specifically will look like on the other side of this pandemic. It's okay not to know the answers to any of those sorts of questions right now. God will continue to hold us and watch over us as we seek the Spirit's wisdom and creativity. But it's quite possible that we'll see some new faces for some big world-shaping events like COVID-19. They open up conversations about life and faith. And there are those who are returning to faith too. And all of that brings into focus the challenge of being faithful to Christ and living that out in a way where we deepen our roots of faith whilst connecting with others in relevant and helpful ways in our community. And the ways in which we do both of those things, both planting those deep roots of faith and connecting with our community, might need to change. But even if COVID-19 wasn't part of our lives, we'd still need to be asking ourselves questions about how we live as God's people in the light of the resurrection. It feels like a long time ago, but it was only two weeks ago that we celebrated Easter Sunday and Jesus being raised to life again. It is that day that changes all the other days. It is a world-altering event. And yet, as each of the Gospels end, there is a sense in which they are unfinished. The end is just a new set of beginnings. You'd be hard-pushed to find any sense of triumphalism at the end of the Gospels. But there are plenty of opportunities for us to be drawn into wondering what it means for Jesus to be alive. The resurrection changes the course of history. And it leaves the disciples with hearts and minds that are on fire for God as they begin to see everything in a new way. So what difference does Easter make? If in the season of Lent we in some ways see ourselves walking the way of the cross, we don't stop walking because Easter arrives. Easter isn't a destination. 
the risen Jesus goes on, beginning a new journey that doesn't let go of the cross, but takes it with us past the empty tomb and into the disorientating newness and joy that is the resurrection. Easter means we do not stop seeking to understand, respond to, and follow the one who is living. It's about being surprised by Jesus again and again and again. We're a community of people who can say, I have seen the Lord. And at the same time, not be entirely sure what that means. In the church calendar, Lent is 40 days long. And the season of Easter is 50 days long. And this suggests to me that if it takes 40 days to pay attention to Jesus who set his face towards Jerusalem and the cross, it will take longer to tend to the risen Jesus who lives beyond the grave and is with us through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. So that's what we're going to attempt to do, to work through some of that together. So we're calling the series Stretching the Kingdom, and today we're going to begin with readings from Isaiah 54 and then Acts 11. So Isaiah 54, beginning at verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords and strengthen your stakes. For you will spread out to the right and to the left and your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. And then Acts chapter 11 beginning at verse 1. The apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also had received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers criticized him and said, you went into the house of uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Starting from the beginning, Peter told them the whole story. I was in the city of Joppa praying and in a trance I saw a vision. I saw something like a large sheet being let down from heaven by its four corners and then it came down to where I was. I looked into it and saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts and reptiles and birds. And I heard a voice telling me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. I replied, surely not, Lord. Nothing impure or unclean has ever entered my mouth. The voice spoke from heaven a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times and then it was all pulled up to heaven again. Right then, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea stopped at the house where I was staying. The Spirit told me to have no hesitation about going with them. These six brothers also went with me, and we entered the man's house. He told us how he'd seen an angel appear in his house and say, Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter, and he will bring you a message through which you and all your household will be saved. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. Then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could stand in God's way? When they heard this, they had no further objections. They praised God, saying, So then, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to faith. And so, gracious God, in these moments, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts and minds together this morning be found pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. 
Amen. Our church has been for some time now, if not always, a community where people who follow Jesus as Lord can have divergent opinions on all kinds of issues and still be friends and sisters and brothers in Christ. We are a big tent congregation. We're people across all sorts of spectrums, theological, political, cultural, and all the rest, can make a home amongst us. That is as true today as it has ever been. And whether you consider yourself integral to our life together, or you're wandering around the edges exploring, or not sure right now where you might fit, I want you to know that Shubri Ness and Thorpe Bay Baptist Church needs you. Every one of you, old and young, been coming here ever since the ark or just showed up for the first time and everyone in the middle. I believe with every fibre of my being that our church is poised to reach our community in breathtaking ways and we need all of you in order to go there. But not only does our community need all of us, but we need all of us too. We can't do this without one another. Loved seeing so many of you embrace this earlier this year as part of our Come to the Table series. And during these days when we're not able to be together, perhaps I might encourage you to get in touch, to make a call, to send a card, specifically over these coming weeks, to someone who isn't in your usual circle. Friends, I also want to say as we start this series, you matter to me. I'm such a flawed, far from perfect pastor and I'm so grateful for your patience over these past months as we've explored inclusion together, particularly around issues of sexuality. I know it hasn't been easy and I'm so aware that it's been a painful time for many of you. I'm sorry for all the things we won't have got right in this time and I'm particularly sorry if anything that I've said or done has left you feeling as though you're inconsequential to me or to our church. But you know, I do think God has shown and is showing us far more through this past season than I had even begun to imagine. And I hope you're beginning to see a bit of that blue sky too. Friends, building a big tent matters, in part because it demonstrates how our unity in Christ overrides other things, in part because it models something that's increasingly hard to find in our world right now. Can we truly say that all are welcome? It was just over two years ago that I brought the words of our Old Testament reading this morning to us as a church with a sense that God was calling us to intentionally make our tent bigger. I wasn't sure what all that meant at the time and we did a few things and we've made a few changes. And then it was six or seven years ago that at one of our church meetings, a number of you had a sense that God was calling us to get ready, to prepare ourselves for something. We weren't entirely sure what that meant or what we were to get ready for, but we knew that it had something to do with reaching our community with God's love, that it was missional in some way. Well, this whole section from Isaiah is an invitation to imagine what that might be. It's an invitation to sing. The loss and failure and underwhelming life of the people of God up until this point is about to be made abundantly good. Isaiah is the first book of the prophets we come to in the Bible. And Isaiah, the author, now it's 
likely that there's more than one, uh, that it's written in two to three bits, that it might not be the same person, it covers a huge span of history, we have different language used without it, but we're going to park that all for this morning. Uh, but this is considered one of the major prophetic books. In fact, the book has been so important to our faith that it's sometimes been referred to as the fifth gospel. In the beginning of his ministry, Isaiah was well liked, but like most prophets, he became unpopular because his message was hard to hear. He called the people to turn from their lives of sin and warned them of God's judgment and punishment. After his call and the beginning of his ministry, there are lots of denunciations and pronouncements, and he calls people to repent and turn back to God. Then from chapters 40 to 66, the book turns to consolation and the hope of future blessings. The people have been in exile and the people have turned away from God and the people are looking for somewhere to place their hope. And Isaiah is saying to them, wake up, God is here. There is unbridled potential and possibility despite everything. God is going to do something new and wants you to be part of it. So share the good news of God's faithfulness and the coming kingdom of justice and mercy and peace. And the words we've read this morning about tents are not so much about tents. I mean, thank goodness, camping is almost as bad as gardening as far as I'm concerned. But they're they're about how abundantly God is going to bless the people. The tent is needing to be enlarged because there are going to be more people. It needs to be made more secure with cords and stakes because when new life comes, it pushes boundaries and creates mess and there'll be people everywhere. So if the tent isn't reinforced, it'll fall down. New life, new things, new people, new ideas, they push us, it can disturb us. And so it's vital to be prepared, to be ready because it's hard to reinforce after the event. And for the people of God listening to Isaiah when they first hear these words, the tent imagery would likely have had echoes for them of Genesis chapter 18, which is a a bit of Genesis we've returned to a few times this last year, where Abraham greets three visitors and hears the news that he and Sarah, despite their advanced age and nomadic existence, that they would have a child and begin the formation of a great people in the next year. And the home for the people of God needs to be larger because it has to be a place for all where there is always a space for people. And this is as much about an attitude as it is about any specific practical arrangements. To make this a reality requires a generosity of spirit and a commitment to being a hospitable people. Isaiah is encouraging the people to think big, to make bold moves, to trust that God is in this and that there is abundant new life on the other side. Friends, I want to explore more about that and to look at courage and faith uh, next week. And I wonder in the days ahead if you might think about some of the most courageous things you've experienced or been blessed by or inspired by in your life. And maybe take the time to drop me an email or message me to tell me about them. I'd really want to hear those stories. Now, one group of people whose tents just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger were the first Christians in the early church. In our New Testament reading from Acts 11, we see them reflecting theologically together on cultural and ethical issues involved in their pioneering mission work. 
the good news of who Jesus is and what his death and resurrection means for our lives. Talk of God becoming one of us and dying so that we might be forgiven and finding new life in the spirit of God. This good news was turning the world upside down. And they struggled to keep up with the winds of change that were blowing through their faith. And how do they include people they'd previously thought that they had to exclude? And how do they process all this change? But they did. And they heard testimonies and they reflected on the work of the Spirit. And in verse 18 we read, When they, that is everyone who's gathered together to discuss these issues, heard this, we're told, they had no further objections and praised God, saying, so then, even to Gentiles, so that's the people who aren't Jewish, even to Gentiles, God has granted repentance that leads to faith. If God is so clearly at work in their life, who am I to keep them on the outside of the tent? Even to them, whoever the them might be for you today, know that God can grant even them a path to a new life of hope, and faith, and truth, and grace. Now how all that works out in the church was messy, and discussing it takes up a few more chapters of Acts, and no doubt an awful lot of time beyond that too. And this is what's most annoying and most beautiful about the Spirit, and why we so often miss what she's up to. The Spirit has this habit of showing up in all the wrong places, among all the wrong people, defying our categories and refusing to take direction. You know, the church is really God saying, I'm throwing a banquet and all these mismatched, messed up people are invited. Here, have some wine. And because it's messy and fuzzy around the edges and complicated, because people are, and it's messy because that's how people are, you find that there are always those who fancy themselves as bouncers for the heavenly banquet, in charge of keeping the wrong people away from the table and out of the church, committed to purifying the church of every errant thought, difference of opinion or variation in practice. And these self-appointed gatekeepers place heavy burdens on others' shoulders, straining out the gnats in everyone else's theology while swallowing their own camel-sized inconsistencies. You can come back and you can come in when you're sober or straight or doubt-free and not depressed and all the rest of it. But in the words of writer Rachel Held Evans, the, the gospel doesn't need a coalition devoted to keeping the wrong people out. It needs a family of sinners saved by grace, committed to tearing down the walls and throwing open the doors and shouting, Welcome, there's bread and wine, come and eat with us and talk. But because it's messy... And because people are complicated, and because the Spirit is still at work in remarkable and challenging and wonderful ways, there will be times still where we see things differently. And in those moments, we must hold on to this commitment to building a big tent and not get sucked into playing games or gossiping about one another or retreating into huddles exclusively made of people who agree with everything we think. That's a slippery slope and it will lead us to some dark places. Writer Anne Lamott tells the story of being in church some years ago and how at the beginning of the sermon her pastor quoted Martin Luther King and in particular his words that hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. 
And having heard that quote a few times that week, um, she'd become a bit blasé about it. Then she says at the end of the sermon, her pastor was wrapping up and almost sighing, ended by saying, just don't let them get you to hate them. You know, friends, one day we'll look back on all this and realize that this was the moment when we truly discovered what lay in store for us in the kingdom of God and how we have had the immense privilege of being invited by the Spirit to model God's generous-hearted and all-embracing kingdom now. One day, we'll realize that this was the moment that we finally recognized our calling as the church to imitate the glorious breadth of the heart of God. One day, we'll appreciate that this was when our limited understanding was made to be swept up by the joy of God's boundless imagination. May that day come soon, I pray. Amen.